My name is Sherry Wilson. This is Outline of a Murder, the Smart True Crime Podcast. Hi, I'm Elena. And I'm Mom. What are you guys most excited about on Family and I? I probably shouldn't clap when I say family annihilators. Right. <clears throat> Excuse me. So what <laughs> what are you most intrigued about on Family Annihilators? Uh, Jeffrey McDonald dissecting that and getting y'all's thoughts and points of view because it's such a complex case. And I think there's so many little tidbits that you miss. Right. That other people, you know, can bring to the table. Mom, do you know what ones we're doing today? Yes. Oh, you do? Oh, okay. McDonald, I knew that one. That's the only one I remember. Oh, and the, uh, the uh, sun. Aren't we doing the sun? Um, the haunted house, supposedly? Yes, Amityville Horror. Mm-hmm. And then Chris Watts, the douchebag. Yeah, I have a special. Susan hasn't seen it, but I'm going to let her look at this weekend. Yeah. Yeah, he's a scumbag. All right, so let me pull up some pictures. And we're going to actually start with John List. And um, he was the very first uh, family annihilator that I had heard of. Um, that's actually what kicked off my true crime um, interest, hobby, I guess you could say. And uh, I think I was maybe like 13 or I might have been 18. Anyway, I remember seeing him on um, Unsolved Mysteries. And he had not been caught at the time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, oh, I got, I got to tell you guys this. So I'm at the store the other day and this cop comes in. And he's wanting to know if we can shine up his badge. And we're like, well, you know, not sure because it's usually like brass and maybe nickel or something like that. But we'll put it in our cleaner and see what happens. And he's been on the force, I think, for like 18 months. And somehow we got on true crime. Oh, no. He said, hey, did y'all hear about the dead body we found the other day in the house? And we're all, no. He goes, yeah, we think it's probably an OD. Okay. And uh, he said, uh, yeah, he said, I love true crime. And I'm thinking, uh -oh. I'm not sure that's a good thing being a cop, you know? So anyway, uh, Ms. Gill says, hey, is it illegal to have like a badge, you know, like flash it around and stuff? You know, she's just curious because I think there was a law passed, right? And I said, yeah, there was a law passed when serial killers were using the light on top of their car and then flashing badges to kill people. He goes, oh, yeah. He said, it's illegal to have one. He said, but I just love true crime. He said, I watch it and then I apply what I learn by watching it uh, to potential cases. Like the other day, we had a shooting somewhere. And I'm like, we had a shooting and an OD. And uh, <laughs> he said, now I'm like, well, where would I be if I was a shooter? And he said, I was looking around. He said, I've been able to find stuff that most people don't even think of because I watch those shows. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's great. So we're kind of you know, talking about different ones. Oh, you'll probably like this one, like true conviction, blah, blah. Love He's true. like, okay. So he left. I'm like, hey, uh, does that concern you, Miss Gill, that he is such a true crime fan? I mean, like, is it kind of weird that a cop likes to watch the shows to study what killers would think? And she goes, yeah, it was a little weird, a little weird. I don't think it's weird at all. I so. Because I observe things that I wouldn't observe if it weren't for the show. It'd probably make him better. It probably will. I think to me it's weird because he is in law enforcement and he's supposed to be on the 
the good guy side and I feel like that may that could turn very easily that's the well right now he's using it for good and hopefully he'll continue that way how does badge turn out same Mm -mm. and I thought I mean you could tell he loves being a cop he's like yeah I just want my badge to look nice and it's not looking as nice I'm like okay and I told him it was funny I said hey just so you know if you ever see me out on a dirt road and you want to pull me over I'm not pulling over I'm going to drive to a public location or I'm going to you know somewhere before I allow anyone even in a cop car because even cops can be criminals he goes good point good idea he could use Tarnex on his badge. We're still on the badge. Yeah. We're still on the badge. Tarnex. Tarnex. Yeah. They okay. use a jewelry store sometimes to clean jewelry. Okay. Just saying. All right. All right. Yeah. Not me. Okay. So John List, um, again, I was a teenager. I was watching the show. And you're going to see as we get into his case, how orderly this guy was. And at the end, we're going to talk about um, the different types of family annihilators and which one we think that he probably falls into. Uh, I was fascinated by how he committed the murders, how he laid out the bodies, uh, how he ran errands in between killing his family. And he was big Uh, at church. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then how he disappeared. So uh, he appeared on the outside like an outwardly loving father. Uh, But, you know, a normal man, but he basically methodically and unemotionally wiped out his entire family. Okay. Also, huh? How he was caught was interesting. It was very interesting. Yeah. And I got pictures and everything. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we'll start with who John List was. And um, he was raised in a very strict upbringing in Bay City, Michigan. I'm not sure where that was, but his dad was 66 and his mother was 38. Oh, that's. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yep. Yep. So that was when he was born. And also his father and mother happened to be first cousins. Oh, yes. So his mother was domineering and overprotective. Uh, She wouldn't let him play with other kids because she's afraid he'd get hurt or get dirty. So he had no friends. He spent most of his time alone and he was also ridiculed at school. And I'm sure it's probably because he didn't have a lot of social skills, uh, you know, just because he wasn't allowed to play with anybody. And then he joined the army in 1943 and he was actually in the infantry in World War II. I thought that was interesting. He was precise, exact, and very smart. And then once he got out of the the war, he attended the University of Michigan, and he earned a bachelor's in business administration and a master's in accounting. So Mm. this is not a, you know, an idiot. He's he's a very smart, um, methodical, precise person. But I mean, I bet you can imagine how he probably would have been awkward a little bit with people. So then he married a lady named Helen in 1951, and she had a daughter from her first marriage named Brenda. And at the time of the murders, Brenda had already moved out and was uh, was married, not murdered, (laughs) was married. And uh, so Helen was a widow. 
And as we go through uh, his history, you'll see that that was very important to him because he, like you said, he was very religious. He was very involved with his church. There's no way he would have married a divorced woman. Right. So she was a widow. And then after they got married, they had three kids of their own, Patricia, she was the oldest, then John, which was his namesake, and then Frederick, okay? In 1965, so this is what, 14 years later, they moved to affluent Westfield, New Jersey. And he was a vice president and comptroller of a bank. I don't even know what a comptroller is. Do y'all know what a comptroller is? Something to do with accounting. Okay. Heard of it, but I don't know. We had one at the office. We do. Okay. So they lived in an 18 room mansion. Right. What? Mm hmm. And so this mansion. I mean, I don't know how he did it as VP. I mean, I know some, you know, owners of banks, presidents, stuff. They don't live in 18-room mansions. So even today, that just kind of seems weird with uh, what he did for a living. But Wasn't it had a... embezzling money? Do what? Wasn't he embezzling money? Not that I could find out. Oh, okay. It had a speaker suit system that played music throughout the house. Kind of a big deal back then. I it had a... Oh, you want a speaker system? Yes. It had a ballroom and a Tiffany skylight that was worth 100K back then. Mm-hmm. And that Tiffany skylight will be very important. Also had marble fireplaces. And then his mother lived with them at the time. And so they were strict Lutherans, I guess. Uh, he was a Sunday school teacher at his church. I mean, you can just kind of picture this family was the epitome of the American dream, et cetera, et cetera. So let me show you a couple pictures. So this is John and his uh, family. So as you can tell that at the time this picture was taken, Brenda was already moved out. So Patricia's right here, then John, his namesake, and then, um, oh, I forgot the last Frederick, little Frederick right there. And then their house, is right here so yeah an 18 room mansion in new jersey Uh, unless he got it at repo no for inheritance his mother's money maybe nope didn't show that now i do wonder uh if it was the mom's money i wondered if um that was definitely something that was going on. Maybe she had uh, some money. I do know he made a good living. Just, it was a mystery how he could afford a house like that. Back then it was cheaper too. Yeah, but when you put apples to apples for that economy, Mm. I don't know. It was still kind of weird. But anyway, that's where they lived. Uh, But there were some things that were going on behind the scenes as usual Uh, with any family annihilator case where there's stuff going on that a normal person wouldn't murder their family for. Uh, They would find a way out of whatever problems they're in. But these guys think totally different. And um, it's a very interesting psychology. So the first problem in the family, all-American family, is Helen did not tell John that she had contracted syphilis from her previous husband oh that could be a biggie yeah right a deal breaker man (laughs) 
Maybe. Yes. Well, and so I wonder, like, did he go out on her and that's how she got it? Uh, but she told him it was from her first husband. So I, I'm thinking that, you know, he had to have gotten it either before they got married or during, unless she was lying on how she got it. Right. Right. Now she did not receive treatment. So she was going blind from it. Uh, she had deteriorated significantly at the time of the murders. She was drinking four to five glasses of scotch a day. Um, she was dependent on tranquilizers and she stayed in bed most of the time. So the syphilis was definitely, you know, and they say that's what killed. Well, yeah. Al Al Mm -hmm. Went into his brain. Yeah. And I think it like causes, you know, like, um, obviously brain deterioration, but also uh, like their personality changes and uh, they can get more violent, not think clearly. She's uh, uh, taunted him every day and she taunted him in a specific way. And that was his masculinity. Like his mother probably did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, so it's not surprising that she was actually the very first one he killed. Right. Now, on top of this, his life uh, was taking a turn for the worse personally and professionally. He had lost his bank job, so he's no longer a VP or controller, and then he couldn't keep a job after that. Does so it by, say why? Huh? Does it say why? Why he lost his job? No, but what I found out about people like him is they tend to be able to get jobs easily. Uh, because of their qualifications or their past work experience, but then they don't have the social skills to keep the job. You know, people think, hey, I'll just get hired. No, you actually have to be able to communicate with other individuals. You have to be able to get along with them. You have to have some type of emotional intelligence. So his mom really didn't set him up for success. That's for sure. But to go up into a VP position, he had to have some sort of skills. He's very charismatic. Because sometimes you don't just hire in as a VP. You have to work your way up. Probably, but my experience with a lot of people that hire is they just hire based on your work skill, not necessarily your social skills. So a lot of people said that he was just very cold uh, at work, you know, detached. Uh, So I'm not sure. Maybe he put on a good face or maybe they thought he was worth the chance, you know. I'm not sure. And I am not sure why I got fired. It might be in my notes, but in 1971, so they moved to this house in 1965. By 1971, he's got a wife that's crazy that constantly taunts him. And then he cannot keep a job, but he would still leave every day as if he was going to work. And that seems to be a pattern, actually. Mm -hmm. And then he would spend his days at the train station reading napping and trying to figure out a way to get his family out of this now huge financial mess. So they had no idea that he had lost his job and he was skimming money out of his mother's account to pay for the mortgage. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, Mom, what are you doing? She's looking stuff up about him. Oh, yeah. Okay. So he skimmed. How did his children treat him? Weren't they disrespectful to him? I think the daughter was starting to be. And I heard something about that. I read something about that. Well, mom, you're old enough, right? To remember the summer of love? Yes. 
So what you're... (laughs) She's like... What year was that? I don't remember. That's a sign of aging. I was about to say, because that is... Oh, I have the funniest story to tell you, though. Is it as bad as her joke? Oh, mine's fantastic. Oh, okay. Great. <laughs> Do you want to take a note of it so you don't forget later? Do you need to write it down? No, I'm good. Okay. I think it was, what, 65 or 66 was the summer of love. So with John List, and he obviously has strong religious beliefs. He was raised by a strict mother. I'm sure his teenagers were probably of that you know, mindset, or they were coming into teenagers, especially Patricia, of just throwing off some of those ideas and constraints that, you know, that generation maybe put on them. And watching how he was treated by his mother and his wife. Yeah. You do what you see. Right. So I think there were some things going on with him and a couple of his kids, but I think for sure, Patricia. Mm -hmm. But we don't know how the mom treated him. I mean, she isolated him, but I envision like someone that's overly loving and whatnot. And then you have the polar opposite with his wife. That's what I envision. Possibly. We uh, definitely, she was a helicopter mom. Uh, She might've been one of the types of moms that he could have done no wrong. I don't know. That's what's interesting is there's not a lot of information on him and his mother and how their relationship was at the time. But he did say why he killed her, which we'll get to. Um, and he was going to kill Brenda as well, but he um, they had already moved out, but he decided against that. Yeah, so um, they were close to for- foreclosure. And then he also had $15,000 in debt. And that's the equivalent of $96,000 today. Oh, I was like, that's not bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was quite a bit um, yeah. back then. Uh, so again, I think that, you know, his inability to keep a job was probably his lack of emotional intelligence. He probably didn't have any charisma. Um, you know, his mom didn't really set him up, you know, to process failure well, to process probably conflict and how to get out of problems very well. And I'm not saying that what he did was her fault. You can just kind of see a setup, but also something's wrong with him, you know, and, and if you keep a child bound in fear, they, the brain, the way it works is if they're in this high anxiety state and they've never learned how to process fear, they're not going to see any opportunity. They're not going to be able to troubleshoot. They're not going to be able to look for ways out. That fear will actually heighten their uh, ability to only see threat. So the, the solutions are coming up with is not going to be that great. Well, when you take into all the, the things that made this perfect storm for him, uh, it makes sense that the only conclusion he came to was to just erase his past. Yeah. Now, he would later say that he felt he was letting his family down. And uh, I'm thinking probably murder is letting them down even more. But um, he said... Well, I. I grew up with the idea that you should provide for your family. And to do that, you had to be a success in the job that you had or you're a failure. And that was not a good thing to be. And of course, they had welfare. You know, he could have gotten on that. But he said that would have been um, excruciatingly embarrassing. And it would have also violated. Oh my gosh, I got a hair. 
It also would have violated his principles of self-sufficiency they learned from his father. The murder wouldn't be embarrassing, I guess. That's what I have. I'm like... Egotistical pride, thinking he can do away with it. It's an excuse. Yeah, to get away with a murder. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's... What you did for a long time. And like, it obviously doesn't make sense to us, but it just was the only thing that made sense to him was to kill off his entire family. So he explained in a four-hour interview after they caught him in 2002 how he worried that financial hardship would split his family and turn them away from their faith. But murder wouldn't. So it forced him to make a tough decision. He said, I finally decided the only way to save them from that was to kill them. You know, after the murder, also, he was a... He was very religious mm-hmm. after the for, for even to, he's not dead, but to his death. Yeah. Super religious, yeah. super religious. So he committed murder. I don't understand that. I don't either. It doesn't make any sense. Okay. So on the day of the murders, it was November 9th, 1971. It seemed like a normal day. Uh, John sent his kids off to school like normal. He then took two handguns a nine millimeter pistol that he bought as a souvenir of World War II, and then a 22 uh, to the car to load him. What his family didn't know is that he had been going to the shooting range to practice before killing them. He walked into the kitchen and he shot his wife from behind in the back of the head as she drank her coffee. He then went upstairs where his 85 year old mother was eating breakfast. He kissed her and then shot her in the head. He returned downstairs and he dragged his wife's body into the ballroom. And then he cleaned up all the blood so his children wouldn't realize what was going on when they came home from school. And he kissed his mother and he claimed it was like Judas. Right. (laughs) So he then went to the post office to stop the family's mail. Okay, that's very important when you kill your family to stop the mail. Um, He then went to the bank to cash out his mother's savings bonds, and he made sure that he had the correct interest down to the penny. Okay, you got to get that interest, right? He then returned home to make several phone calls explaining that his wife and children had gone to North Carolina to visit his wife's sick mother, and he was going to follow them in the car. So now he's setting up his alibi. Now he's setting up um you know the after effects so it takes as as long as possible for them to discover so he has to me so he has time to get away right right okay so then um all that killing and running of errands made him hungry so he took a lunch break you, you gotta have your energy when you're shooting your children uh, he huh i'd be hungry right so he fixed himself a sandwich And he sat down at the table where he had shot his wife and he ate his lunch. Uh, He later chuckled about it. Uh, Then he shot his older uh, daughter, oldest daughter, Patty, age 16 first, because she was the first to come home. He then shot his youngest, Frederick, age 13, when he came home from school. And then he went to John's high school soccer game and watched it because John was his favorite. He gave him a ride home, and then he shot him in the chest. Jeez. 
Now, he shot all of them from behind except for John. And so none of them realized until last minute what was about to happen to them. But it was interesting that he did that with John. Like he shot him face to face in the chest. Unfortunately, John didn't uh, die immediately, excuse me, immediately and quietly. But John so, was his favorite though, right? Right, which because is weird. If, if he's facing you, you can comfort him, tell him how much you love him, you know, and then maybe more of a mercy killing. To me, the back of the head would be the least painful and terrifying. Um, yeah, so he basically, you know, he's there moaning and he's in pain. So he emptied both the nine millimeter and the 22 into John's jerking body. He later said, I don't know whether it was because he was still jerking that I wanted to make sure he didn't suffer or that it was sort of a way of relieving tension after having completed my assignment for the day. Wow. Yep. So once his assignment was accomplished, he lined the four bodies up in the ballroom. He covered their faces. Um, and that was a tell all to the police that it was someone close to the victim mm -hmm. victims. Then he left his mother's upstairs because she was too heavy to drag downstairs because I, from what I've heard, I wouldn't know by experience that um, carrying a dead body is really difficult. It's not as easy as people oh, think it would be. Mm -hmm. Oh, and then he put hymns to be to to play in the speaker system in the background on the internal oh, intercom. Oh, hymns. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yes, and then he cleaned up meticulously. He also sat down and wrote a uh, five-page letter to his pastor explaining his financial problems and why he killed his entire family, which we'll get into a little bit more later. Now, all of that uh, work wore good old John out, you know. So he went to bed in the same house that he had just killed his entire family in. Hey, on the assignment, did he, like, say who that assignment was from? To him, it was a religious assignment, which we'll get into. Okay. So let me share the screen again to show you um, the crime scene. So here's his family. Um, and I'm not sure who is who. Obviously, uh, some are taller than others, but this is how he laid them out. In the ball. I thought he laid them out and had their hands on the, on their chest folded, but I guess not. Yeah, not all of them. Mm -mm. Wow. Yeah. I'm assuming because that's the smallest one. Right. Uh, unless maybe they appear smaller uh, because of the um, condition of the body and how they're folded up. This one right here in the back. It looks like she's wearing shorts or, or maybe a nightgown. So I'm wondering if that's Helen. See, I was thinking it was a top with shorts. Yeah, it looks like shorts. Might be the dog. Well, that's the covering on the face. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So I'm not sure who is who here. But as you can see, he laid them out very carefully and methodically like he does everything. Hmm. Okay. So after a good night's sleep, John went through the entire house and he tore his image out of all of the family photographs because he didn't want the police to have any image of him for wanted posters. Oh. You know, and so back then, you know, it's 19... 
yeah, it's 1971. So they don't have the internet. You know, the only thing they have is like television and then wanted posters. So basically he, to me, I don't think it was just that either. Like, it's almost like he was erasing himself and his past and starting fresh. Mm-hmm. Well, they had to have one photo because they had photos of him. Right. They obviously found a couple and maybe he overlooked some or maybe they uh, had some at work. Church, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good idea because churches like to take photographs of like their leaders and stuff for some reason. So he then drove off. He disappeared for 18 years. And at one point, they wondered if he was the se- a suspect for the D.B. Cooper case. Y'all remember that? I don't know that case. That's a guy that um, they've still not caught to this day that he robbed either a bank or something. And then he got on an airplane and then he uh, jumped oh. out of the airplane and disappeared. And they never I know who it is. Money. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they thought maybe he died. Yeah. Yeah, I know who it is. I I remember. He looks very similar. Yeah, he looks really similar. Uh, The guy younger, they proved later. Yeah, they eliminated uh, John List for it. But at first, they were wondering. Mm -hmm. I don't, I think he's a coward, though, and he didn't have as much as many, you know, he wouldn't have had the guts to do that and jump out of an airplane. I don't think so. So, what do y'all think so far? I mean, what are some things that are like standing out to you guys? Right off the bat, a terrible human being, like just cold, zero heart, zero emotion, attachment. You can't do that that meticulously and have lunch, sleep in the same house, go to soccer games. Right. With any sort of attachment or emotion or love to another individual. And it was almost like all of that was a task to be completed. Like, you know, murder wife first go to the post office, you know, I mean, tell the family that they're gone to North Carolina, uh, kill the next two kids, have, you know, or have lunch, kill the next two kids, go to the Sun soccer game. Like, to me, it's like checking off tasks. In his mind. And then kissed his mother, like, what did they say, uh, Judas? Judas, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, bizarre. Yeah. So about a month passed before anyone discovered the bodies. So he had a month to get away. Because they thought he was gone. They thought they were gone. Uh Yeah. And so what happened is one of the neighbors, she began to suspect that something was wrong because the lights were constantly on. And um, then what was interesting is they started burning out one by one. And they hadn't seen the family for weeks. And uh, so I guess he didn't tell them they'd be out of town, which would make sense because he probably didn't have any relationship with his neighbors. Uh, So someone called authorities and they entered the house on December 7th and they were greeted with the hymns playing through the intercom. So just imagine this scene if you can. You know, so I showed you the, the ballroom, right? So this is like this big rambling mansion, 18 rooms, lights have started to burn out. They come into this house and there's music playing in the background. They called it organ music. And uh, they, I mean, to me, it'd just be eerie. They then saw the note that List wrote to his pastors and then they, uh, pastor, and then they discovered the body uh, in the ballroom. And I had put 
uh, on my Instagram, some of the letter and, uh, or our Instagram. So let me get that up and read you just parts of it. It shows his mind. Um, it's just fascinating what he was thinking. Okay. And y'all might've uh, already read it, but uh, dear pastor Ray Winkle, I'm sorry to add this additional burden to your work. I know that what has been done is wrong from all that I've been taught and that any reasons I might give will not make it right. But you are the one person that I know that while not condoning this will at least possibly understand why I felt I had to do this. Number one, I wasn't earning anywhere near enough to support us. Everything I tried seemed to fall to pieces. True, we could have gone bankrupt and maybe gone on welfare too. But that brings me to my next point. Knowing the type of location that one would have to live in, plus the environment for the children, plus the effect of on them knowing they were on welfare was just more than I thought they could and should endure. I know they were willing to cut back, but this involved a lot more than that. Number three, with Pat being so determined to get into acting, I was also fearful as to what that might do to her continuing to be a Christian. I'm sure it wouldn't have helped. Four, also with Helen not going to church, I knew that this would harm the children eventually in their attendance. I had uh, continued to hope that she'd begin to come to church soon, but when I mentioned to her that Mr. Jutes wanted to pay her an elder's call, she just blew up and said she wanted her name taken off the church rolls. Again, this could have only had an adverse result for the children's continued attendance. That's amazing. So he he said also that um, he would have killed himself, but it was a sin and he didn't think he'd go to heaven. But then he committed murder. So this is a prime example of a religious person. Mm-hmm. Like to yeah. the, not a relationship, not love, just religion. Mm-hmm. And obviously to the extreme, you know, there's a lot of religious people out there that are, they think in similar ways, but they're not going to kill their family, you know? Right. So you can see like pride. Very much. And it's like, he's deflecting. Well, it's for the children's sake. Yeah. So from what we know now he felt like he was sending them to heaven. So Patricia wanted to be an actress. That was like the devil's work. I remember when I became a Christian in like 1989, that acting was still like, oh, if you acted at all, you had demons and it was a sin and, you know, blah, blah. And I'm like, that is stupid. And number one, I know a lot of Christians are real good actors. They had um, rock and roll music wasn't Uh. His daughter was um, listening to rock and roll. I remember yeah. that. Yep. Oh my oh. word! She's gonna end yeah. up on a yeah. She's gonna go yeah. to hell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Star. So to roll. me, this is a loss of control for him. It has nothing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it has nothing to do with sending them to heaven. He's losing control. He knows he's losing control, and so he's got to stop that. So. Um, now he didn't hide the fact at all that he killed his family. And he obviously stated he knew it was wrong based on all he had been taught. Mm -hmm. So that makes me wonder, did he really think it was wrong? I don't think so. I think he literally thought he was saving his family. Remember he said to save, right? He called it an assignment. So for him, this is saving them from going to hell. I think so too. Yeah. Well, at least he's telling himself that. So 
Um, he said in an interview that, you know, he knew it was wrong, even when he was doing it later, but he explained that after making the decision to kill them, there was no turning back. It's just like D-Day. You go in, there's no stopping after you start. Yeah. So it appears that he had planned this for a while. So listen to this. So if we ever have this conversation, I'm definitely going to look at y'all a little bit different. Don't worry about me. You two have the conversations, right? <laughs> One night after dinner, he asked his family what they wanted done with their bodies after they died. Now, in the context of family life, not even having a grid for your dad going to kill you, it would just seem like a normal conversation. Not to me. Well, I mean, I would want my body cre cremated, just so y'all know. Has asked me what I, I wanted. He wanted me to do in a cremation as well. Yeah, for sure. But now yeah. I think it would be a little weird to ask your kids, though. Right. You know, they're teenagers. They're not even thinking about death. In fact, most teenagers think that they're invincible. So that's kind of strange. They and probably didn't think it. They just thought, "Oh, that's he's weird." Maybe, yeah, because he was probably very awkward with his kids too. Like I can picture him just kind of patting them every once in a while, and probably not a lot of emotional attachment or connection. And besides, who would who would even think, "Oh, he's going to kill me"? Right. There's just no grid for it. That's what's crazy when you look back at like the the wedding photos and the family photos. It's like these people had no idea that their husband or their father was going to murder them. You know what I mean? So he said, I remember talking about funerals and creations and burials. I thought I was being really clever. So this tells me it wasn't just financial and religious either. He, like any dysfunctional psychopath, wanted to kill. And he had no empathy at all uh, for what he did. You could tell he took a nap. He had lunch. Mm -hmm. Phone calls. Mm -hmm. No tears at all. Yeah. Yeah. And eating lunch in between. Yeah. What, um, what tasks did he do that made you think that calling funeral? Was well, it funeral? the first thing is, you know, shooting his family in the back of the head. Oh, you had said you just read something and then said that points <laughs> to me. Oh, that it wasn't just financial or religious. Uh, oh. I, I think he wanted to kill his family uh -huh. and, um, uh, and we'll get into more of that in a little bit, but yeah. So after they discover the bodies, the FBI, so now the FBI is involved, and they found his car parked at Kennedy International Airport in New York City. After that, the, the trial or the trail went cold. Now, fast forward May 21st, 1989. So I was 16 at the time. And uh, they were, it was America's Most Wanted, not, not Unsolved Mysteries, America's Most Wanted. And they were doing the episode on John List. And this is what got me hooked right off the bat. And so they showed this bust. And this is, I mean, this is just fascinating to me. Um, the age demon and busts weren't used um, back then like they are now. Right. And so this is a guy. So obviously from the pictures in the background, they had something. You could tell he's like wearing a suit. So it does look like either a church photo or uh, maybe a business photo. Um, and so this guy, he basically, uh, his name is Bender, Frank Bender. And he's a forensic artist and he was hired 
to uh, do an aged uh, John list. And he talked about how he thought an aged list would look like. He gave him a hawk nose, grizzled eyebrows. I mean, I don't know what's up with old men and their eyebrows, but that definitely happens. And then he went ahead and put the horned rimmed glasses on him. And the reason he did that is it was a theory of various psychologists that Liss would keep wearing those glasses because it would remind him of more successful days. Huh, so so 20, that's a good point. 22 uh, million people saw it and the tips started coming in. So this, this is the bust right here. And this is John Liss when they got him in trial. Look at that. That is incredible. Um, it looks like the only thing is maybe in the bust he aged him a little bit more than he actually looked. But other than that, I mean, down to the hair and everything, he looks just like him. He does. And the glasses. Yeah. They're like, I mean, almost identical. So that is amazing to me. And it worked. So one tip came from a lady in Richmond, Virginia, and she thought her next door neighbor looked strikingly similar. Not only that, but her neighbor was also an accountant and a churchgoer. Oh, uh-oh. You think he would have changed professions? Huh? You think he would have changed professions? But no. criminals go to what they know. Well, especially a person of his makeup. You know, mm -hmm. he, he's not going to want to try new things. He's going to go to exactly what he's good at. Because this is all about ego for him. And so he definitely doesn't want to try to do something new um, that's outside of his normal, but he did try. He worked at a few bus uh, other businesses. Uh, now they went to Robert Clark's home and they spoke to his wife. Oh, yeah. yeah. And that ended the 18 year uh, hunt for list. He was arrested nine days after the show aired on June 1st. Okay. Oh. So this is to me crazy because like you said, he just went straight back to what he knew, except he didn't have any kids this time. And um, they found out that after he annihilated his entire family, he drove to the airport and parked his car, but he didn't take a plane. Uh, he then traveled to Denver, Colorado, uh, and he began his new life as Robert Clark. He got a job first as a hotel fry cook, and then later as an accountant for H&R Block. Oh, oh my. He joined the local Lutheran church and he married Dolores Miller, another widow, in 1985. And then they both moved to Richmond, Virginia. Virginia. wonder why he picked Colorado and then Virginia. I'm not sure. Hmm. Now, here's what's crazy. List caught the tail end of this show with his wife oh no and he later said i was perspiring like anything but his wife did not connect her husband to the family annihilator being highlighted on america's most wanted it looked just like him but the neighbor did why wouldn't the wife here's the thing again she's got a connection to this man she's been married to him since 1985 it's just not going to enter her head that he is this man on TV, unless he was abusing her. So like you do see where women that are married to someone, they see like, you know, 
weird behavior or, um, you know, she met him in church. I mean, that right there would probably, there's no way she could tie him to that. But anyway, if they've been abusive or acted strange, then they'll start kind of connecting the dots. But remember Liz with John, uh, with Ted Bundy, she had, there were just things that were weird that she started connecting the dots to like gone at night, um, the plaster of Paris, uh, just there were some things that were kind of strange, but even for her, it was just like, there's no way. So if, if this lady is a widower, she met him, you know, at church and he's just this accountant that goes to work every day. They work in their garden, maybe in the summers and watch TV in the winters. You know what I mean? There's, I could see how she just would not connect the dots. Neither wife, they didn't show was abused. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's another thing with these family annihilators. A lot of times they have overbearing wives and they will just bottle everything up and then eventually end up. We'll see that with Chris Watts. Okay, so he went on trial. His defense lawyer tried to get the letter that he wrote to his pastor dismissed because it was like, you know, pastor, uh, parishioner, confidentiality. But the prosecutor's like, no, because he abandoned the letter when he left and he left it out in plain sight. Oh, smart. Yeah. So he had no thought of confidentiality. If he did, he would have mailed it straight to him. So the judge agreed. The letter was admitted. He was convicted and sentenced to five consecutive life life sentences. He died in prison at the age of 82 of pneumonia. No one collected his remains. I'm sure because he killed off his entire family. So who was there? And then his widow or his current wife had already divorced him. So she's not going to come for him. Now, the uh, getting divorced. Oh, yeah. So the house ironically burned down a few months after the murders. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And they're not sure why. They don't know if it was arson. They don't know if maybe it was, you know, they don't know why it just burned down. Maybe someone in his area just burned it or maybe yeah. he, or maybe he came back and did it and this is him at his trial what stands out to you in looking at this picture such pride mm-hmm. yeah look at that looking down his nose his mm-hmm. head up yeah. i mean if he thought welfare was bad i can't imagine what he thought about being on trial for murder it's almost boasting proud. yeah and obstinate like i've done nothing wrong yeah and okay he might think he hasn't really i i don't think he ever did he never apologized he never he knew it was wrong but i think morally he thought it was right so he knew it was wrong in society's eyes but in god's eyes that's what he had to do to save his family Mm -hmm. so i want to get in the psychology and, and finish off with what type of annihilator we think he is so his defense team they try to put the ptsd defense on because of his you know time of world war ii and then korea and all that but psychologists disagreed and this is what they said which i thought was very interesting they said he was going through a midlife crisis Mm -hmm. i don't believe that either i don't think it was all of it but i definitely think it might have been part of it and it fed into his lie that he had to get rid of his family because he was failing at everything and at this point he was in his 40s but a midlife crisis is a little different. It's well, not for normal people. Family. For normal people. It's more get a girlfriend, get a sports car. 
<laughs> Her and sports cars for men right. at that age is hilarious. I hate it. I'm like, they were just now able to afford it, likely. <laughs> anyway. Well, okay. I know a lady right now who her husband went through a midlife crisis. And what happened was years and years of not dealing with his you know, junk, not dealing with things at all, his past, his emotional state, the midlife crisis, when it came, it was like all that stuff not dealt with just piled on top and made what could have been just a normal, hey, you know, am I where I wanted to be at this age? You know, am I accomplishing what I wanted to accomplish? You know, because men being accomplished in their profession with their families, you know, being a hero, being someone important and significant to their families is very important. Uh, and then also the aging, am I, do I still have it? You know, all of those things, like we know Elena still has it, um, according to the, her gym experience. Oh, yes. Oh, uh, I, think, I think, though, that midlife, I just don't believe the midlife crisis. Well, I've what I'm saying. For a long time, and he just. Oh, yeah, I think he definitely, but what I'm saying is at this point, he's a failure. And so it's right at the time where most men look at their lives and he's failing and he's not anywhere where he wanted to be. So the emotional aspect, the hormonal aspect, I think it just exacerbated his thinking processes and he just killed his family, but he's not normal. But even before he killed, he could have had a midlife in his 30s and had those emotions. No, things was going good in his 30s. Yeah, right. And I mean, the hormone aspect of it, <laughs> I just think that's responsible for many things, especially when men get to that age. Too. And not excusing, of course. I just think that if you're already having those things going on and then you add this to, was it the one straw that broke the camel's back, you know? So at the time when he murdered them, he was between the ages of 46 and 47. And so that's like prime you know, um, midlife crisis. Uh, but again, I agree with you. Most people that go through midlife crises do not murder their entire families. Liar, sure. Now in my research, cause I was wanting to understand family annihilators and I found out a, a, some interesting things. They've not been studied as much because there's not that many. It is escalating though. More and more are killing their families. Um, and there's several types they're discovering so far. Self-righteous, anomic, which is the socially unstable and alienated, uh, disappointed, and paranoid. Those are uh, four of the types so far. And I think from his letter to his pastor, we can definitely put him in the self-righteous. Right. I think so. So self-righteous. Yeah. Self-righteous, anomic, or socially unstable and alienated disappointed and paranoid okay so i think he's actually probably three uh right. the self-righteous the anomic and the disappointed in life yeah yeah and i came across this youtube youtube video by a doctor uh grand or grande he actually analyzed john list in a case and he's a licensed mental health counselor and he discussed what's called an ocpd uh, killer so an OCPD is obsessive compulsive personality disorder. Now it's not OCD. Okay. Uh, so this is a little bit different, but he defined it as an anxious, fearful disorder. And here's the thing, people who are anxious or fearful, 
they have to control. When they feel like they're losing control, then they have intense anger or rage. So a lot of times when people get angry, it's actually a loss of control they're feeling mm -hmm. for whatever reason. So utilize him in person or just the notes of the case? Just in the notes of the case. And then he also is an uh, uh, OCPD is an avoidant and dependent personality disorder cluster C, which um, I'll get to that in a second. And then perfectionism, rigidity, negative affectivity. In other words, he doesn't have that emotional state where he connects with others very well. Uh, interpersonal aggression. And then the need to control other people. Interpersonal what? So like with his relationships, it's building up this aggression on the inside because of his relationships with those around him. And his, his desire to control. I mean, that was apparent when he's killing his family for his reasons. Right. Because he didn't want his daughter to be an actress. Right. Right. I mean, that's obsessed control. And I looked up a negative, negative affectivity just to get a little bit of a better def definition on Wikipedia. And it's a personality variable that involves the experience of negative emotions and poor self-concept. Uh, it subsumes a variety of negative emotions, including anger, contempt, disgust, guilt, fear, and nervousness. So I think his family was a reflection to him of his own hatred for himself. You do? Mm-hmm. Because the negative affectivity is centered in how he sees himself. He's angry at himself. He has contempt and disgust for himself. And I know it sounds weird, but a lot of people I've met that are like him to a degree, obviously they don't kill people. Their criticism of others, their need to control others is actually an, a, a way to cope with their own critical view of themselves. In other words, I'm not as bad as these people. See, I don't think that. I think he thought he was smarter, more prideful. Well, yeah, of course he thought he was smarter, more prideful. His hate was towards the family. I don't think he had hated any, hated himself at all. I think he did. Yeah. yeah I, I've met a lot of C personalities and they really do have a lot. They're very critical of themselves, but they don't like to deal with that aspect. They don't like to dig around in that aspect. So they will constantly blame other people. They will be critical of other people. They will um, feel aggression toward other people internally if they can't control them. So I don't know. I'm, I think he was. The interviews, I don't, there's not really anything that shows. I mean, you know, to me that he hated himself at all. He just thought he was superior. I mean, he was. Yeah. Well, you can't confuse feeling superior with hating yourself. No, but, I know, but I don't see anything in his case that I've read that any comment he's ever made that was negative towards himself. Yeah, they usually don't. Well, in this disorder. And then the cluster C personalities are plagued with intense anxiety and fear. Intense. So then he listed eight uh, symptom criteria for the disorder. So tell me if you think any of this fits him. A preoccupation with details, orders, lists, rules, organizations, and schedules. A right. perfectionism that interferes with task completion, except murdering his family. Yes. Excessive devotion to work and productivity to the exclusion of friendships. 
over conscientiousness and scrupulous and inflexible about matters of morality, ethics, or values, mm -hmm. can't throw out worn out objects, can't delegate tasks because they want things done the exact way, has a miserly spending style towards self and others, and is rigid and stubborn. All of them. Yeah, and I don't know about him not being able to throw out things. And then another thing where it says miserly spending style, more than likely he was miserly because number one, he's an accountant. He worked for a bank and I've met a lot of bank people and they are. Uh, but that leads me to the question, then why were they living in a mansion? So I'm curious is, as how he got the money for that and why they ended up there. I can't find it. Did his mom and wife pressure him to live there? I don't think so. I think it was his pride. And um, the only term I could use is like showboating. Because he wanted to give a persona of a um, successful yeah. person. Yeah. And when he lost his success, that kind of turned him the other way. Possibly. I know when we look at Chris Watts, uh, the finances were a factor. And you often see in these cases where the wife wants this real nice house and provide an extremely good life for the kids. And then the husband that's working for a living, that's this type of person, the pressure of trying to keep up with that is one of the factors that adds to the anger. But here's my thing in comparison, comparing those two and why I feel like his is different is that he was, um, you know, very boastful and like his demeanor was pr proud and um, I don't, I don't know how else to say it, but then when you see Chris Watts interviews, he's more like um, not shameful, but almost meek, I guess. Well, his, and I don't see any boasting with John. I see him stating facts. Uh, oh, the pictures you showed. He well, was that's pride, proud. but not necessarily boasting about accomplishments or anything. Um, but it's not either. Yeah, I, I couldn't find in any of his interview when I read the transcript with um, Chung, I can't remember her first name, of him boasting about any of his, of his accomplishments, but he definitely was morally superior in his views compared to his family. And, and if he was like that with his family, I'm wondering if he was like that with coworkers. Yeah. You know, there's no you telling. You can also boast with actions. You don't have to say anything. So he does, he had the mansion. But that Sherry, was it. It was from the, the wife's. Yeah, oh, I'm, I'm just wondering because yeah. like his clothes were very conservative. His car was conservative. Yeah. He just didn't, he just seemed like an unassuming nerdy accountant. Invisible. Yeah, yeah, just, you know. Now, um, Dr. Grande, Grand, went on to say that Liz was angry and hostile which in studying family annihilators, that's usually there. That's definitely how they are. Some hide it better than others. Um, they suppress it until finally, they calmly and methodically execute their plan to kill their wives and children. He also said that with this disorder, um, they can appear productive and motivated, but are often not due to perfectionism. They're good at getting jobs, but not keeping them. So I think that's what was happening. Mm -hmm. And... I'm not sure how long he had the job at the bank before he lost it, but it wouldn't surprise me if some of these things were starting to come out, especially if he had stress with his wife with syphilis and all that, you know, I'm sure his, he started breaking down. Um, 
did he start dissolving and his work suffered? And then his wife drinking, if he felt that morally superior, her drinking was a big problem, I'm sure. Right. Um, then Ellen wasn't going to church. He was afraid she'd hurt the children. Um, so it appears that her seeming lack of spirituality would hurt the children. And he wanted uh, to do the crime originally on November 1st because it was All Saints Day. Oh, my word. You know, too, Ellen said she was pregnant before they got married. And so he didn't want to marry her, but he ended up marrying her. And then she said she wasn't pregnant. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. He already had Brenda. Ooh. So well, that's what I'm reading here. It says, yeah, that he um, didn't want to get married. He wanted to be pure, but Ellen announced she was pregnant and he had reservations, but he went through the wedding. So how can he be pure if he's already having sex with her? I know, right? Well, he wanted to be. Wanted to be, probably. I didn't know that at all. I've never so read So already, that. in his mind, she is a hoe. Painted. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the syphilis, yeah. the drinking. The sort of trapped him. Back then, you know, you got married. Very yeah. interesting. So it's obviously a loveless. But then there was no baby. And then, and then she lied about everything, the syphilis, the baby. Ooh. That's interesting. I've never heard that about them before. Me neither. Well, and he would have killed Helen's mother too. She was due for a visit, but uh, she wasn't able to make it because she got sick. Wow. Lucky for her. Then OCPD is characterized by a lack of insight or finding solutions. The doctor said that the murders were probably a mathematical calculation. And that syphilis would have been particularly offensive to him because OPCD and OCD persons are disgusted by germs. So wow. to finish up, uh, Connie Chung, it was Connie Chung. She interviewed him on February 20th, 2002. Listen to a couple things he said. He was waiting to be reunited with them in the hereafter. He said, I feel when we get to heaven, we don't worry about these earthly things. They'll either have forgive me or won't realize, you know, what happened. He said what? They'll either forgive him or they won't realize what happened. Because these are just yeah. earthly things, you know, like oh. killing your family. It's an earthly matter. Right. <laughs> he went on to say, I'm sure that if we recognize each other, that we'll like each other's company, just as we did here when times were better. Wow. So then Connie obviously pointed out they broke one of the commandments, you know, you should not murder um and she said why didn't he just kill himself and he said well it was my belief that if you kill yourself you won't go to heaven so eventually I got to the point where I felt that I could kill them hopefully they would go to heaven and then maybe I would have a chance to later confess my sins to God and get forgiveness right I, a I lot of say that was probably what he was thinking do it now and ask forgiveness later a lot of people right. think that way I've yeah. before. Mm -hmm. and then he felt that the 1970s were a sinful time and then his family were beginning to be influenced by temptation, especially his daughter, who wanted to be an actress, which was sinful to him. He considered acting as being corrupt and linked to Satan. Now, I mean, there are some pretty disgusting things that happen in Hollywood. So that, you know, there might have been reasons for him to worry about her, but not to kill. Um, he decided that killing them before they could renounce their religion would save them from hell and send them straight to heaven. Boy. So I think, 
you know, he killed his family. He, and he wrote these ideas to his pastor to make himself look better, like the hero, and to rationalize him killing his children. I mean, the, the youngest one, I can't remember his age, but it was, you know, ridiculous. Um, and he had convinced himself that it wasn't as sinful as it was. Now, a Dr. Stephen Simring examined Lish years after his arrest and said that his sense of neatness was a result of a comp compulsive personality. That List, get this, showed no evidence of anything that approached genuine remorse and that he was a cold, cold man. Yeah, none of his interviews, he ever apologized or anything. Yeah. It's interesting there wasn't any signs with the second wife. Surely he didn't keep the job for 15 or 18 years. You know what I mean? I, I mean, he's a serial killer. They usually not kill. technically, Not technically. A serial killer isn't by, um, by how many people they kill. It's by uh, them killing in a series over a period of time. So just the fact that he killed his entire family doesn't make him a serial killer. But... I, I don't, yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, did he work at H&R Block that entire time, maybe? Yeah, he, surely he would have broke again. Once you kill, you usually can't just start. Or he got his fresh start that he thought that he could. He made it work. Right, and they didn't have any more kids, so he didn't have to worry about that. But his mindset would be the same. It would be, it sure would. Right. And then I wonder, did he find killing distasteful? Like it was a task he had to do, but it was distasteful. And maybe some of the emotion even discussed, or maybe it was unpleasant, you know, cleaning up the blood, all that. Maybe he just never wanted to do it again. Yeah. That's Not the emotion true. part of it, but I could see cleaning up. And well, even though he had no empathy for them, they can still feel emotion and so I don't think he felt any remorse, but maybe disgust with, you know, having to mess with all that and just the stress of having to hide it and, right. you know, fear of getting caught. So as late as 2008, a parent told a reporter in New Jersey that children won't, wouldn't even walk past the property and some didn't even want to live on the same street. Like most horrific crimes of this nature, the trauma isn't just the victims or the families. The entire town, village, or city is traumatized and haunted and some for decades. In the first house where it was murder or the second where he lived? Uh, where the murders occurred. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I wouldn't want to either. Would you? Mm -hmm. uh, I wouldn't. Bad, bad mojo. <laughs> right. No. no. It's a house. It's a, it's a bad, no, it's a, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Wow. No, no, not that house where the murders occurred. But if I wanted a house on that same road, I'd be like, it's a house that it serves its purpose. Yeah. I'd probably be like, that's where Liz murdered people. I could see y'all going. Give tours. You know, there is, there are people that do, well, you told us that do um, Jack the Ripper tours. In, yeah. Uh, England. yeah, I went on it. Mm -hmm. And Adamyville, uh, they used to let you go in the house. They don't do any do it anymore, but they used to give a little. That's food. our next case. <clears throat> that okay. was an interesting one. It is. So what I'm going to do. Oh, do y'all have any other thoughts, though, about John List? I don't. Were there any, any interviews with the mother-in-law? 
I'm wondering what Good she question. Good question. I don't know. Well, the wife, the second wife. Oh, well, she divorced him. But still. Yeah, I'm wondering what she thought. She wrote a book. Did she have an interview? Those are good questions. You ought to write them down and I can check them out or send me a text. Definitely would write a book. Yes, I could see that. Mm-hmm. You you would? You would write a book? Sure would. What would your title be? Give me some time to Jilted. Think. Just so other people could know how he was and what to watch for and things you didn't know and the monster. Now there's a book called Monster. Monster number two. So let's say that it would be be my list. But it's not your list. My list. But his last name would be her husband. My list. Got it. You get it? My list. Well, I I get it, but I'd be confused. Like, do you have a, a list of people you want to kill? No, my list. Because my husband, my And just list. like this. Yeah, sort of down. Right. My list. We got it. That's an excellent title. I, it's your dream, Mom. Well, what would you title it? What would you title it? Jilted. My life with... A douchebag is probably what I would call it. Well, yes, you that's were not jilted. a good title. No, mine's much better. I know what I would title it. You ready? Well, Dear John. Bam, bam, mic drop, mic <laughs> drop. <laughs> Where are you going? She's got a potty. Outline of a Murder is a Mr. Joseph production. What do you think, Joseph? <laughs> <laughs>